Welcome. You have entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simron. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Empower yourself. Broaden your mind. Open your heart and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simron. Hello and welcome. It is a delight to be with you this week and I'm excited to dive into another wonderful conversation that hopefully will support you in broadening the mind and opening the heart. Have you ever thought about what it must be like for Hollywood actors to be able to put on a character and portray so many things? I know I've often wondered if after acting in different movies and playing different characters, if they're able to take those attributes from those specific roles that they've played and utilize them in their own life as gifts and strengths and talents because they've gotten themselves so much in the character. Well, what if we actually have all of those selves, but it's not acting? What if we actually have different parts of our own persona and identity that we can tap into in different moments to really allow ourselves to have the gifts, skills, and talents that are necessary to really express and exude our highest potential and greatest capacity. I'm excited today to speak with Jordan Gruber. He is the co-author with uh, James Fadiman on a book called Your Symphony of Cells, Discover and Understand More of Who We Are. Uh, Dr. James Fadiman said that they worked on understanding why uh, healthy selves seemed to be such a radical idea when on so many levels it felt completely obvious. Only after we began our scholarship on the history of psychology did they come to recognize something very important. In early psychology, the only real issue was between two groups, one composed of scientists and philosophers who felt that every human being had selves, and another set of important clinicians working to develop the first theories of mental illness who felt the different selves appeared only in their patient populations. So can we have multiple selves on the inside and still be a healthy human being? Or the fact that there are many selves, does it always have to be called pathology? Well, let's discover the positive side of your symphony of selves and how you can dive into allowing them to support you rather than being switched or triggered into a suboptimal part of who you are. My guest today is the co-author, Jordan Gruber, who is a writer, collaborative writer, ghostwriter, and editor. He's forged and sculpted authoritative volumes in forensic law, financial services, and self-development. A graduate of Binghamton University and the University of Virginia School of Law, he founded the Enlightenment.com website and is now a leading advocate of rebound exercise through the Superbound Project. He is the co-author of The Symphony of Selves, Discover and Understand More of Who We Are, along with James Fadiman, uh, who uh, was the president of two companies, taught at four universities, an international seminar leader, and has written textbooks, trade books, and novels. Welcome, Jordan, to 1111 Talk Radio. Hi, Simran. What a great introduction. It's so good to be here with you. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Well, it's great to be with you, too. And, you know, often through the years, as I've gone through my own uh, manipulations of mind and oftentimes choosing one thing and going in another direction and then doing something else, I've often thought, am I schizophrenic? <laughs> but I knew that it was just all these different parts of me that are wanting to 
express and experience and create, and yet somehow they all tied together. And um, I don't know if you know much about human design, but I've been told that in my human design, I actually have three distinct islands within me. And so oftentimes that's why that shows up in that way. But in the research that was done to create the book, Your Symphony of Selves, we all have these different aspects within us. What makes us choose only one particular self instead of relying on this whole plethora that we have on the inside? Well, you don't normally just choose one. I mean, in a, a day you have, um, you know, you go, the, the, the number of different people you're with and people you spend time with and, and places and situations and work and play, you are already shifting in and out of these selves, like you're shifting in and out of different uh, attractive basins in complexity theory. So we're all already moving in and out of these different parts of who we are. So for example, I'm not the same person I am with you right now doing this interview as I am if I'm hanging out with my old friends and we're partying. And I'm a very different person if I'm with my daughter or if I'm with my daughter and her friends. I mean, we're constantly shifting and changing. What we're saying is that lots of people already do this already. Uh, Mental health is being in the right mind at the right time is one of our catchphrases. And most highly functioning people have already figured out that it, you know, if, if I need to be in the writer part of who I am, I have to make sure that he is fed and caffeinated in his exercise so he can really sit down and do what he does and does. And that's very different than if it's now time to call my 90-year-old mother and spend as much time as she needs to spend to talk with me. Um, so we, we're all constantly moving, but there is this, this predisposition that if you do have more than one self or if you talk to yourself out loud that you're mentally ill, and what we're saying is that, no, actually not. This is an incorrect assumption at the heart of Western psychology. And up until around 1910, at least in America and in parts of France, we knew that this was true. And so we're just trying to reclaim that idea that, yeah, you know, you might be a singer and, uh, you know, somebody who grows flowers and somebody who likes, you know, rollerblading. And this is all the same person, but you do move into these different parts of who you are uh, naturally and, and fluidly if, if you're well-developed and healthy. So many people may not have ever really given it much thought uh, or have the awareness of, oh, there are these different parts of me and I do behave differently when I'm in with this crowd versus this crowd versus this role in my life. What's the benefit to bringing this to awareness? Oh, there are so many benefits. Um, one of them is, you know, for starters, you're, you're correcting a wrong assumption. So lots of things make a lot of sense and we can explain a lot of things. Um, uh, and that's a sort of a broad general. But uh, another obviously immediate benefit is that when you find yourself or someone in your life is inconsistent, instead of and doesn't do what they say or may have forgotten something, it's a lot easier to be compassionate and go, oh, when I told them that, it was kind of late at night and they really weren't focused and they weren't in the part of them that takes you know careful uh, track of the things that we have to do the next day. So I can be more relaxed and I can be more compassionate. But but also it just enables you, you to sort of uh, get in touch with the different parts of who you are so that if any of them are uh, unhappy or, or traumatized or need to do something that you haven't let yourself do for a long time, you can sort of start that internal communication and you begin to act as a much more cohesive and coherent, um, you know, har- harmonious symphony of selves rather than, you know, just not 
taking care of all the parts of who you are. So we, we like to say that that your parts are real. They have innate value. You can't just get rid of your parts or cells without causing a great damage. And often they have different agendas. So the part of you that wants to eat that last piece of cake late at night is different than the part of you that knows better. And if you can get that these are both real, then you can open up the kind of dialogue that will lead to better decisions and outcomes. So with there becoming more and more focus around mental health in society, and and we see the campaigns everywhere, it's now the topic of television shows, personal growth and self-help is really pointing to that arena as well. How do you support individuals in understanding the true distinctions between between the two. I mean, and I'm not talking about the severe type of mental health where there is a drastic understanding that there's a mental health issue, but how do you find the fine line between something that is a borderline mental health issue versus uh, simply tapping into these various selves? Right. That's a great question. And, you know, you've already mentioned schizophrenia, for example, which is actually of a very different order than what we're talking about. Schizophrenia involves more of kind of a meltdown of your whole central nervous system and brain and an inability to function. People who have uh, disassociative identity disorder or multiple personality disorder, they too are, you know, very incohesive and don't function well. But I, I think what we've done is we've kind of put together this um, x-axis of increasing cohesiveness. So you start all the way over on the far left of this axis with somebody who doesn't have any awareness that they have different selves and whose different selves are constantly fighting with each other and doing different things and they're getting in trouble with themselves and other people. They may be doing uh, dangerous or harmful things. Then you move along that x-axis until you get to where most people are, which is they assume they're a single self And they make things work, but they don't make it work quite as well as if they moved even farther along the x-axis. And they became aware that they were actually a symphony of cells and that they could harmonize them and that they could learn ahead of time to to shift into the right mind at the right time instead of just being uh, triggered or switched by some external um, event. So... Basically, you know, we're on, if you think of this x-axis, we're on a continuum where there are people with almost no cohesiveness on the far left, and then there's most people who have a good deal of cohesiveness, and then you get all the way over to the place where we're working for, which is people recognize they have different selves, and that the people in their lives have different selves, and that they act accordingly. So, you know, there are definitely, it's, so the, the distinction is that just because you have different selves, or parts, and you and they're in dialogue, and you might even talk aloud with yourself about them. That doesn't mean you're mentally ill. Far from uh, the opposite. However, you might have a a mentally ill or a dysfunctional or a pathological self in that system that really needs to be treated and really needs to be given attention. And you know, uh, we don't like labels very much and try to stay away from them. But let's say you might have a self that 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 you know registers pretty well as bipolar. And that part of you has to be dealt with, but that part of you is not all of who you are. So it gives us a different, finer uh, degree and way of kind of assessing where people are on this whole spectrum. And so, you know, again, uh, talking aloud to yourself, 99 point something of everybody actually talks aloud to themselves. And it turns out 
that if you talk aloud to yourselves in other than the first person, so you're not using the word I, but saying we or using your name, that tends to de-emphasize the amygdala and light up the frontal cortex, and people are more effective and get more done. So talking aloud to yourselves is not only not a sign of mental illness, it actually helps people perform better. Now, we're also looking at a lot of uh, exposure to the conversation around trauma. And, and in truth, we're all traumatized to some degree in this society. And it is through that trauma, we also develop different selves. And some of those selves end up being like the shadow self. And then there are other selves that overcompensate or develop our gifts and our talents. And all these things that come out of these trauma experiences. And so when you're looking at the symphony of selves, does that correlate in some way to uh, these other parts? And, and is it, does it include the shadow self? Or are you looking more at um, simply the sides of us that can strengthen different gifts, skills, talents, and attributes? Well, that, that's a great question, but let's kind of slow it, uh, slow it down and, and, and break it up a little bit. In the 1970s, the progressive therapists, as we call them, came to recognize that when people had a new self or part uh, seemingly split off or born when they were usually young and physically or sexually abused, although it can be just emotional abuse, um, that, that was seen as a breakthrough in the sense that it was realized that the, the creation of selves in this context was an evolutionarily positive thing. This showed resilience. This showed strength. This means the person didn't go completely insane because they were able to put the worst parts of what they were experiencing into one self and just sort of go there and handle it. So that was seen as a big uh, advance in the theory in this in the 70s. And, you know, to this day, one of the places where selves seem to be created is in these, you know, very abusive and traumatic and sexual situations, usually, but not always when someone is young. But at the same time, one of the things that we've stressed in the book is that yourselves also come into existence during positive, happy, very wonderful moment. So as an example, I had a bike accident five years ago. My, you know, I saw my, my, my toes and heels going over my head and, uh, and I didn't get on a bike for a year and a half, even though I wasn't badly injured. And then when I finally went, what am I doing? I love riding a bike. So I got a new, better bike that fit better. And the first moment I got on it, I was right back to the five-year-old part of me that was deliriously joyful. And, you know, remembering my dad holding the wheel in the back and my sister urging me on and learning that skill of riding a bike. And I love it so much. That part of me, my bike riding self, if I can call it that, has nothing to do with negativity or trauma or any of that. So, again, yes, you can focus on the parts that that were created in trauma. And in fact, those parts need to be talked with. They need to be loved up into the whole, as one of our authors put it. And, and one of the places you see this is um, during psychedelic integration. Um, my partner, James Fadiman, is very well known for his work on psychedelic creativity and microdosing. And as we have been asked a lot of questions in the last year, we've come to realize that the, the integration phase of a psychedelic experience, when you are coming down back into 
ordinary reality and your ordinary set of selves, that's where the parts that are often the most traumatized will sort of show up and raise their hand. And that's where you have this great option to identify them and work with them and love them and be in dialogue with them and support them. So, um, you know, we do have uh, cells that were created in moments of trauma and stress and abuse, but many of our cells are created in life affirming moments, whether, you know, I mean, another one for me is when I was a kid, I was in the, at a beach club almost every day of every summer. And I developed this, uh, you know, way of being in the water for a couple of hours and just swishing around on a tire or a raft. And maybe five years ago, we were in Cape Charles, Virginia, and I was back in uh, the Chesapeake Bay. We had a long day and there wasn't anything going on. So I spent a couple hours in the water just doing that thing where I'm kind of like half amphibian in the mud and just baking. And I remembered right back to being four or five years old and thought, oh, that's when this part of me really kind of came out and was was given birth. So we kind of like to balance it and say, yeah, you have a, a different part. And we don't really know where they all come from. I mean, Jim and I basically say that anything about reincarnational cells or angel cells or high cells or true cells or any of that is really beyond our pay grade. We're just into observing the ordinary sets of cells or parts or personas or subpersonalities that people tend to move into during their ordinary day and week, you know, three or five to 10 or 12 major cells like this is what most people seem to go through. Did that answer your question, Simran? That's great. I am today talking with Jordan Gruber, and we are speaking on the book, Your Symphony of Selves, which he co-authored with James Fadiman. Many books have been written about the idea of selves generally, and few have been written specifically about healthy, normal selves. Our Their book differs from other books in a number of ways. Their ongoing focus is on health and wholeness, not pathology and dysfunction. They believe that since selves exist, denying their reality or trying to force them to go away is almost always a mistake. And many books in this general area also cover subjects such as trance, possession, or supernatural selves such as angels and the like. They lightly touch on some of that, but only when historically relevant or otherwise appropriate. This, exactly. James and Jordan each uh, have are comprised of distinct autonomous and inherently valuable selves, explaining that it is normal to have multiple selves. The authors offer insight into why we are all inconsistent at times, allowing us to become more accepting of the different parts of who we are and other people are. You can find out more at yoursymphonyofselves.com. That's yoursymphonyofselves.com. And we'll be right back after these messages with more of Jordan Gruber. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset. 
Discovering the Heart and Stepping into Conscious Living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Do you want more? More joy? More abundance? More power and presence? How would it feel to have more loving relationships? More empowered community, greater fulfillment, and life purpose? The 1111 Mastermind Community inspires, empowers, guides, and supports transformation. Shift your mind, expand your heart, deepen insights, let go and chart a new course, dream a new dream. The 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IamSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. Before we get back to the show, I want to let you know that the latest issue of 1111 Magazine is out. That is always free, and it is digitally accessible on the website. If you go to 1111mag.com, I'm always sharing amazing individuals and their creations in the world. And the magazine is always filled with uh, uplifting insights and intentions and affirmations and all kinds of things to support your own journey. So definitely check that out and give yourself that gift. In addition, I'd love to tell you about a special offer from BetterHelp.com for my 1111 Talk Radio listeners. You get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com forward slash 11. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Well, BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours, and there's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be available locally in your area. The service is for clients worldwide, and you can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. And you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you don't even have to leave your home. Again, that's betterhelp.com forward slash 11 and spell out the word 11. That gets you 10% off your first month. This is not a crisis line. It is not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today, and that is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. And you can also uh, check out many of the uh, different testimonials and the uh, 
the application for additional counselors in all 50 states. They've got so many people using BetterHelp that they are recruiting uh, in every area. So once again, that special offer for 1111 Talk Radio listeners is 10% off your first month at BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com at forward slash 11 and spell out the word 11. Given the strength of the single self-assumption, many people have never considered their own experience of healthy multiplicity. But once the healthy self's worldview is brought up, those able to look beyond the single self-assumption begin to see the confusion and difficulty that flows from it begin to drop away from their lives. An obviously easier and better way to live is not just around the corner, but already resides within you. As yourselves come to look past the single self-assumption and experience what we're Discussing here with uh, Jordan Gruber, uh, most of all, you may naturally and readily choose to take increasing advantage of the totality of who you are. We are talking about the book, Your Symphony of Selves, and you can find out more at yoursymphonyofselves.com. And the words I just stated were from the actual book. Welcome back, Jordan. Um, Thank you, Simra. Let's talk a little bit more about... um, this is about really diving into personality and identity. And I think in a lot of spirituality, it's more about ascending more towards the single oversoul or the one self. And, and this is about really being human, about really allowing the full experience and expanse of all of who we are and tapping, tapping into that. At least that's what I gained from going through the book, that you're not talking about the single self or trying to bring all those selves into one overall self. You're, you're really talking about diving into the different aspects and utilizing them when needed or being aware of them uh, as being different parts. Yeah, so uh, th- this is very interesting. You know, at, at the heart of Western philosophy is the assumption that we are one thing. It's called essentialism. At the heart of monotheism is the assumption that we are one thing and only. And it's, it's, you know, monotheism says one God, one soul, one self. And um, what we are saying is that your you know, it, it is sort of the fluidic dynamics between all of the different selves that constitute your whole system or constellation of selves that that is the you there is a place of grounded central depth from which you come from and the body and brain and minds that you are controls these different selves but they they aren't you know the idea that you're one single self that you have a high self and that you're trying to be it or identify with it we think actually often tends to um, bring people into a kind of spiritual bypassing. So you remember I was talking about the x-axis on the left. You have somebody who isn't cohesive at all. In the middle is someone who thinks they're oneself, but of course they're not really. And on the right, we have somebody you know, moving along. We have someone who understands that they do have these different selves and that they're all of them. What, what, what we what got um, from an interview uh, that Sam Harris did with Jim Fadiman is that well, there's this x-axis, there's also this other axis, we'll call it the y-axis or the orthogonal axis. And it kind of, you know, goes right through it. And on the top of it is people who do want to be or identify with or experience that single one true self, the high self, the authentic self. That's all they're shooting for. And, that, and if you take that vertical line and cross the x-axis at the bottom, you find people who want zero selves. You know, these are Buddhists and meditators, people who have been working to really dissolve any sense of self. Uh, Taoists are like this also. 
And so what we've been saying is that uh, uh, wherever someone is in terms of spiritual practice and self-reflection, in terms of achieving either oneself or learning to release all of their selves, that's a different sort of plane of or axis of activity and endeavor. But how, wherever someone is on that, you know, however far they've gotten to stepping in and always being aware of their high self or however far they've gotten to learning to dissolve all their selves and, and really see that everyone is interconnected, however far they've gotten along on that y-axis, they're still going to be better off. And everyone in their life is still going to be better off if they've moved farther along on the x-axis and they're in their ordinary day-to-day, you know, activities and affairs and conversations, they, they, they recognize that they and everyone else in their lives have these different selves and they, and they learn to shift ahead of time into a self that is, you know, more appropriate and, and kinder. Like, like, for example, if I know that I'm going to have the same argument with someone that I always have the same argument with, let's say my wife. And I sort of feel myself moving into that part of who I am. Now, I really have the space to go, you know what? We don't need to go through this. I'm just going to move into the tolerant, kind, accepting part of me that loves her far beyond any of these things. So you have a lot more fluidity because you can, ahead of time, uh, you know, know where you're likely to go. And then instead that you're going to be in a different part of who you are when, uh, you know, things get, get, you know, down and dirty and hot and heavy. So um, th- that's what we're sort of saying there. You know, you, you may, you know, there's a lot of people who spend a lot of time trying to, you know, be their one true authentic self and clubhouse where I spend a lot of time, you see people talking about that all the time, but the way we hear that, it doesn't really kind of, break down to anything practical in their real lives. It's just like, sure, you can have a transcendent experience if you take, you know, if you if you do the right sorts of external disciplines or if you take the right sort of psychedelic with the guide, but eventually you're going to come back down to the ordinary parts of who you are. And while there are people who will tell you that they're always channeling their high self and their authentic self, we're saying that, that it's a confusion because you don't just have oneself. So instead, if you can learn to be in the right part of you at the right time and to develop that part and to bring it further along, that, that's really what it means to be in your best self. It's the best self in the moment for what you're doing at the right time. It's not some super spiritual self that exists on another dimension and nobody ever really sees or touches. And you know you can't stay in that state of consciousness forever, even if you can reach it. So that's, that's what we're saying. And so for individuals to really be able to switch into a different self, a portrayal of a different self when they're uh, in an experience, it, it does require that knowledge of the different aspects or that awareness of um, here's a place that I typically would get triggered and react in a certain way, whereas if I can bring this part of me over instead at this time, uh, I can handle this in a different capacity. But that means really, really knowing the self. And so are the two paths that divergent? Well, so you just assume that there is a self with a capital S, and that may or may not uh, be true. Um, I mean, I guess, I mean, I think you understand it exactly correctly, is that as you begin to recognize that you have different selves that are autonomous, 
that don't always do what you want them to do, that can really have different agendas, you, you automatically begin to open up lines of healing with those different parts of who you are. So that when you come up to a choice moment, you know, maybe you thought about it ahead of time and you put into place what's uh, called an Odysseus pact. You know, when he told them, whatever you do, don't untie me from the mast of the ship when you hear the sirens. I'm ordering you now to disobey me later on when I'm tied up and I'm ordering you to untie me. You know, you can kind of do things like that or you can just think through ahead of time which self, uh, you know, would be better for something that you're about to do. Or, or here's an example when uh, uh, we have some wisteria on the deck in our back house and it was overgrown in this path, but there was blooming. And so it was blooming. And the part of me that normally would walk by and whip out my knife and cut it off said, wait, what if I was the part of me that just really loves flowers and I just stopped and breathed it in and appreciated it and could let it be here for another few days. And I decided that I could move into that part of who I was. And we, and, and you know, the, the beauty was, you know, was, was there for all to see and share. And uh, sort of another example of this is that um, I, we haven't talked about this, but it's one of our best examples. So let me go for it is Alcoholics Anonymous. If Alcoholics Anonymous works as well and often better than psychotherapy uh, from, with most psychotherapists, and there's a lot of research about this. And we say that this is so because when you walk into an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, you go, my name is Jordan Gruber and I'm an alcoholic. What you are doing is you are bringing the part of you that has the problem into your, you know, you're, 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 you're becoming that part of you. It's being seen by other people who have had similar problems. It can be appreciated and supported and loved. Conversely, if you are sent, let's say, by your partner or spouse or parent to see a therapist and you have an alcohol problem, many people spend the first three, five, ten sessions uh, actually denying that they even have a problem and not shifting into the part of them that does have a problem. So doing that and knowing that you can move into the part that either has a problem or either has a great virtue that is called for in the moment gives people a lot more fluidity and a lot more capability of bringing the best parts of themselves to the table based on the moment and the needs of what's going on. So often you've, you've talked about, you know, someone recognizing and bringing a part of themselves that is something they want to fix into uh, an environment. And I think so many people are continuously striving to be their best self or to exude uh, something that they see as a higher, higher potential of self. So what would you say to the individuals that are wanting to step more into that uh, greater power? Because so many times we're often more fearful of our power than we are even of our weaknesses. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think you're, that sort of person just needs to move into not only the part of them that has the ability to be truly great, but you know has to recognize that they might have another part that will feel embarrassed or that might not be ready. So it becomes a set of internal dialogues where you know your inner voices or just your feelings, because some of ourselves are pre-verbal, begin to you know know what is appropriate and what will work best for the whole system. Now, if you're also saying you know. What if you really are a religious or spiritual person and you have, you know, a very uh, direct experience of and have devoted your life to this idea of 
you know, a single self that, you know, your best self. And, you know, I would just say that that's fine, you know, work with that and use that to help you, um, you know, be in the right part at the right time and to, and to understand your different selves and to know how to work with them. And, you know, that, that's fine too. That works really well. But, you know, the thing is though, just because you have, this higher self or this authentic self that you get in touch with, that doesn't mean that you're going to be able to easily deal with the part of you that, uh, you know, still gets, I don't know, mad in traffic or that, you know, eats too much late at night, which is one of my things. Um, you know, so it's, it's it, it, I think it's a balance. I think it's sort of a dynamic balance. Instead of seeing the existence of many selves as a flaw or pathology, uh, Fadiman and Gruber reveal that the healthiest people, mentally and emotionally, are those that have naturally learned to appreciate and work in harmony with their own symphony of selves. They identify the single self-assumption as the prime reason why benefits of having multiple selves have been ignored. This assumption holds that we each are or ought to be a single consistent self, yet we all realize in reality that we are different in different situations. Offering a pragmatic approach, the authors show how you can prepare for situations by shifting to the appropriate self rather than being switched or triggered into a suboptimal part of who you are. They also show how recognizing yourselves provides increased access to skills, talent, and creativity, enhanced energy, and improved healing and pain management. Appreciating your diverse selves will give you more empathy toward yourself and others. By harmonizing your symphony of selves, you can learn to be in the right mind at the right time more often. Jordan Gruber is the writer, collaborator, writer, ghost writer, and editor who has forged and sculpted authoritative volumes in forensic law, financial services, and self-development. Uh, he's a graduate at Binghamton University and the University of Virginia School of Law and founded the Enlightenment.com website. He is now a leading advocate of rebound exercise through the Superbound Project. The other author is Dr. James Fadiman. With degrees from Harvard and Stanford and president of two companies, he taught at four universities and is an international seminar leader who has written textbooks, trade books, and novels. You can find out more about both of these gentlemen and the book, Your Symphony of Selves, by going to yoursymphonyofselves.com. That's yoursymphonyofselves.com. We'll be right back after these messages with more of Jordan Gruber and Your Symphony of Selves. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Do you want more, more joy, more abundance, more power and presence? How would it feel to have more loving relationships, 
more empowered community, greater fulfillment, and life purpose? The 1111 Mastermind Community inspires, empowers, guides, and supports transformation. Shift your mind, expand your heart, deepen insights, let go and chart a new course, dream a new dream. The 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IamSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. Have you ever argued with yourself? With whom were you arguing? Who was the other voice or other voices? If you have ever argued with yourself and changed sides, who did that? When looking at the last cookie or piece of cake or candy, who says yes and who says no? There's so many aspects to who we are, so many different parts And sometimes there are parts that rule us, and other times there are parts that simply flower in front of us and inside of us that shine. Uh, David Eagleman says, there's an ongoing conversation among the different factions in your brain. As a result, you can accomplish the strange feats of arguing with yourself, cursing at yourself, and conjoling yourself to do something. I am with Jordan Gruber today, and we are talking about uh, the book that he has co-authored with James Fadiman, called Your Symphony of Selves. You can find out more at yoursymphonyofselves.com. James Fadiman is a former president of the Institute of Noetic Sciences and a professor of psychology. And Jordan has forged and sculpted authoritative volumes in forensic law, financial services, and self-development. Jordan, let's talk a little bit about language and pop culture and, and how people have Uh, seemingly utilize this type of awareness to really help boost where they wanted to go or what they wanted to create and accomplish in the world. Sure. Well, in the book, we have examples of uh, some entertainment superstars like uh, Beyonce, who was not able to perform for a while until she got into the part of her that she called Sasha Fierce. That enabled her to go out and do her, you know, a little bit more on the sexually provocative side of things. And we also have a feature on David Bowie, who is one of my all-time heroes, who uh, very consciously moved between different parts of who he was in terms of the type of music, what he was wearing, his makeup. And we have some people talking about that. And a, a wonderful, we have six of the 29 images that make up Helen Green's animated gift. You can just see how Bowie shifts over time. Uh, We also talk about Herschel Walker, 
the great uh, NFL athlete and, and multiple sports superstar and this one dance contest and other things, cooking contests. And uh, Herschel Walker wrote a book about uh, his case of, of DID, dissociative identity disorder. But most of the book really is about him describing things like when I was in junior high school and I was running and getting in good shape for the first time, my knees would be in terrible pain. And I, I found a part of me that knew how to deal with that pain. I would go into that. We have Herschel saying something like, you don't want the part of me that's an NFL footback, you know, a babysitting your kids. Those are two different parts of who I am. So there's a lot of different people and a lot of different writers, of course, who have taken on uh, different uh, uh, names and different, uh, you know, and different identities as they put their works out. And, uh, you know, this has also been the subject of so many uh, different uh, novels and treatments from Herman Hesse's Steppenwolf to, uh, you know, th there's just so many different people who have worked with this all the way up through the books that came out uh, and the movies in the last century, like like Sybil, um, which were focused on, you know, an over an overdeveloped Hollywood version of how this kind of thing can go horribly wrong, but sort of still getting the message out there that, that people might have different selves and parts. So it's, it's, you know, our thought was that if, if we are correct and that there has been an incorrect assumption at the heart of Western psychology, but only since around 1910, uh, when it was driven underground, you would expect selves to show up nearly everywhere. And it is. They're in cartoons. They're in scientific treatments by guys like David Eagleman and uh, the left brain, right brain guys. And, you know, it pops up in lots of places. And, uh, you know, it also pops up in places like uh, what we kind of think of as the as a psychotherapeutic power tools. So that would be internal family systems and voice dialogue and psychosynthesis and all these systems that were, you know, therapeutically built about working with with uh, the parts that aren't doing so well. So, you know, you see it in a lot of places and uh, lots of people are talking about, you know, imposter syndrome and inner child and all these different things. And what we think is that, you know, with this kind of a framework, a lot of this makes a lot more sense. So for example, inner child, it's not that you have some special archetypal resonance with the innocent youngness of who you are. It's that you literally have a self or a part that is much younger maybe even pre-verbal, and you might have more than one. And, and you, so you'll have more than one inner child, potentially, and, and they're actual cells or parts that are real. They're not this sort of <clears throat> vague archetypal conception of innocence and purity that we're going to call the inner self. So we just sort of see it, uh, you know, nearly everywhere. And even all people who are kind of familiar with this and have worked in the therapeutic context, uh, we have different coaches and therapists and people saying, wow, this book is letting me see that, you know, my wife and I, for example, not mine, but one of our people was, was talking, you know, have, have this thing. And now I finally figured out what that looks like. So we, we just kind of see it everywhere. And the book itself is filled with maybe a thousand examples of cells in different aspects and people giving different models and metaphors for how to work with cells, whether it's a jazz band combo or whether it's, you know, it's a braided, you know, a, a, a cloth or whether, I mean, there's just a lot of different people that focused a lot of different effort. But what we've really tried to do is take it a step back and go, this would all be a lot easier if like when they put the um, sun in the center of the solar system instead of the earth, all of those crazy epicycles and wild mathematical gyrations they had to do to make their data work, 
They didn't need that anymore. Similarly, we find that when you recognize that there isn't a single self at the center of who you are, but multiple selves, a lot, lots of things are are explained from, you know, battles with diet to how come, you know, two people can meet each other and, you know, and have a, a crazy night of lovemaking the first night and the next day they look at each other and like, I don't want to be with that person because they're not in the same set of cells that they were in the previous night. I was, you brought up archetypes, and I was actually going to ask you that question of how this is, um, is, is this simply more of a, a, a fanned out archetypal um, span where instead of, of having the archetypes as these faces that we look at, it's more of the embodied and ability to spread it out across uh, many age ranges or um, parts within us to go towards each archetype. How is that different or similar? Well, this brings us to the question of history. And one of the things that's most interesting and certainly different in our book is that we tell the psychological backstory starting in the 1880s in, uh, in, in Paris uh, with Jean-Martin Charcot. And then, you know, Charcot was the first person to take the idea of selves seriously in the context of what they were then calling hysterical women. People who studied with Charcot included William James, um, Alfred Binet, Pierre Genet, and Sigmund Freud. Uh, Freud, in his very first ever published paper, Anna O, actually thanks Binet and the two Genets for their work on exactly this subject. And 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 uh, Carl Jung actually wrote his medical dissertation before he'd ever heard of Freud on his cousin's case of multiple personality. So Jung, Jung was aware of it early. Later on, Sigmund Freud in 1897 rejects the seduction hypothesis. And so while there was a big conference on <clears throat> healthy multiplicity at Harvard in 1906 featuring the great Pierre Genet, by 1910, Freud uh, basically tanked the whole idea. He, the seduction hypothesis said that there were people in a, a high-class Vienna who were basically seducing their maids and having sex with people they shouldn't and doing all sorts of dramatic and abusive things. And Freud changed his mind and said, none of that is happening. It's all made up. Here's my theory for why it's all made up. And in doing that, he basically got rid of parts and cells and hypnosis all at once, and uh, by 13 years later in 1910, it had totally gone away. Now, Jung, of course, was Freud's great disciple, and later after he broke with him, uh, what, what he did was he took the idea of cells or parts internally in two different ways. One way was through the archetypes, which you've been speaking of. The other way is what he talked of as autonomous complexes. And when you read Jung on autonomous complexes, they sound an awful lot like selves, fragments or of personality that will act on their own. And, you know, he talks this whole thing out. So basically, you know, in Jungian terms, these different autonomous complexes, they, they, they pick on or settle on or are seeded by different archetypes and they, they become more real in your life. So you may have, let's say, a glutton. There's the glutton archetype. And that's the part of you that will, you know, inflame the part that wants to eat way too much to do that. Or, you know, so, so that's kind of how it works out in that system. Jung did still understand that people had different parts. But following Freud and, and saying the whole thing wasn't real, he took it internally and worked with both archetypes and autonomous complexes. And then you can sort of see the through line uh, from, from Jung and where he was on this 
both in Roberto Assagioli, who came up with psychosynthesis, and in James Hillman, who in his early work was very much talking about individual uh, uh, parts and selves. So that's kind of where archetypes fit into the big picture. And as, as for shadow, I think the easiest way to think of it is that, you know, there may be some large, numinous, uh, you know, transhuman concept of shadow that might even involve, you know, elements of evil and things that are way beyond us. But most of the time, shadow is that you have a part of self that doesn't get to come out. It's been exiled in IFS terms. It never gets to come on stage or be fronting in the body. It's never driving the body. A part of you, you've tried to repress and it's in shadow. But what we've learned from Jung and others is that, you know, like with a beach ball, if you try to press it under the water and keep it down, eventually that part of you is going to pop back up and demand its due and demand its time. So if instead you realize that you have these parts that you've been keeping in shadow and keeping exiled, if you find a way to let them out and start working with them, they're usually so happy to get any you know real airtime at all that they, they behave well and they can be channeled into you know art and creativity and, and other type of activities. Thank you, Jordan. Um, we only have a couple of minutes left, and I'd love to look at how uh, diving into ourselves, known or unknown, can be a supportive way in regard to uh, social integration uh, with others to create a more connected world, to try to understand what it means to be in other people's shoes or uh, to realize that we are this interconnected uh, life form with all other beings to perhaps bring more empathy and more compassion and more union to those outside of us. Is there a way to tap into the selves and find those pieces of us, especially if one is reared uh, to, to view things in the opposite way? Yeah, I, I think there, there's two ways. Um, you know, the, the first way is to remember that you do have your own symphony of cells and parts of you are, you know, kinder and more cooperative. And if you're going to be, you know, moving into a place like it looked like I was going to be driving my 97 year old father-in-law to a wedding and he's got a, you know, he's, he's in the last stages of cancer and it was going to be really bad, but I, I knew I was going to have to be in, you know, the total mensch part of me that just goes with it and makes it happen for the family. Um, but, you know, it, with respect to other people, and I think I said this early on, is when you recognize that the different people in your life really have different cells or different parts and that they're not not being cooperative because they want to mess with you and they're not not remembering things because they want to be difficult. They're literally in a part of them that doesn't remember what you said or that doesn't have the energy to do what another part of them said. I mean, generally, compassion just tends to naturally bubble up and be become part of that. Uh, you know, we're basically trying to replace the idea of dissociation with cohesion. And the more cohesive you are, the more congruent you are, uh, the more coherent you are and the more compassionate you are. So as you get to see that the people in your life have selves, it becomes easier to not be weirded out when they do something wrong. You recognize that someone might have a bad dog, but they're not a bad dog. You know, if Uncle Abner at Thanksgiving dinner starts going into his politics rant and it gets really weird, you know, first you could have avoided that by not getting into the part of you that reacts. But second, you can realize it's not all of who he is. You know, it's part of who he is. So can you have a little bit more forgiveness and understanding for the parts of people that maybe, you know, you don't like as much? Cohesiveness is defined in terms of how well integrated someone is in their function and presentation. 
cohesiveness can be further evaluated in terms of the congruence between someone's current words and behavior juxtaposed with their previous words, behavior, intentions, and plans, the coherence with which they present themselves and are experienced in human interactions and relationships, and the compassion they demonstrate both to their own selves and the selves of others. The next time someone throws out some form of the term disassociation in conversation, consider for a moment whether whatever is being discussed might also be reframed so it can be described in terms of cohesiveness. Working from a positive map that is not derived from pathology, the use of a straightforward term like cohesiveness instead of a hopelessly muddled and problematic one like disassociation, will set you on a better and more selves-aware course. This is from the book, Your Symphony of Selves, Discover and Understand More of Who You Are, by James Fadiman and Jordan Gruber. I invite you to visit their website, yoursymphonyofselves.com. Thank you, Jordan, for being on 1111 Talk Radio. It has been a pleasure. I am Simran, and until next week, in love, of love, with love, and as love, be well. Thank you for opening your mind to a new reality, your heart to greater compassion, and your experience of aliveness with 1111 Talk Radio. Join host Simron next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time to step through the gateway of conscious living here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember, you are not on the journey. You are the journey.